Well, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 19. Settle those pages down. We start in verse 19 through to verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a sketchy operation. <laughs> Uh, let's just bow our heads one more time before we dig into this. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this day and this time. And even as we battle with wind and the elements here and various issues, Father, we pray that in your mercy you would give us grace to, to hear and to be able to focus. Father, that these distractions would not take away from the power of your word. We pray that your spirit would make your word effective in our hearts to sanctify, to do good work. Father, we need your help and your grace in so many ways. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're beginning a new section as we begin verse 19. Uh, but it's not a clean break from what we have seen in verses 1 to 18. So in uh, the first 18 verses of chapter 6, uh, we are told that as Christians, we are those who are self-consciously living our lives in the presence of God. We seek to obey the Lord for the Lord. Uh, we don't do things, uh, good things, so as to draw attention to ourselves. That's what the hypocrites do, Jesus has said. Uh, we do not perform righteous deeds for that reason, to make ourselves great. But ultimately, we do these things for God's notice. We do them as if nobody else is around, in thankful praise and humble worship. And it is this that Jesus has told us a number of times now, that the Lord, uh, that God rewards the things that are done in secret. He rewards these things. And now in verse 19, we have further talk about treasures. 
So we have rewarding and now treasures in heaven. As Jesus deals with this whole matter of earthly goods and possessions uh, and, and how it is that his people, kingdom citizens, are to relate to earthly goods and possessions. On the one hand, of course, we acknowledge everybody needs some measure of wealth, certain amount of goods. We need food. We need shelter. We need clothing. In our society, money that buys these things. Uh, These are needs that are common to all mankind, whether one's a Christian or one is not. These are needs we have. The question is... How are we to relate to these things? How do we navigate these matters as Christians? Is there a distinctly Christian way to view wealth and to view treasures, earthly treasures? And of course, the answer is yes, there is. I trust we realize this and know this. The Bible is quite clear that it is good and it is in fact necessary for some of us to work so as to provide for ourselves and for any who are under our care. And the Bible even speaks of working so as to have extra to be able to give to others. Ephesians 4 talks about that with the thief. Let him no longer steal, but work for himself and so that he may have something to share with others. We think of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. There's a whole paragraph in which Paul is condemning idleness. If a man is not going to work, then let him not eat, he says. And that paragraph concludes in verse 12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So that's the norm. That's what we're to, not to be lazy people who just live off of other people, but we do work. And of course we understand there are circumstances in which people need help. We don't resent people for that. We're to gladly help other people. But so far as we are able and it's possible We work to earn a living for those under our care. Proverbs 13.22 tells us that it is good to leave an inheritance to children. So there is wisdom in not just squandering all the wealth that we might have, that we do possess. Some measure of storing up and passing down is good. It's not condemned. Proverbs Proverbs 13.22 tells us that. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 11, we're told to be joyful in the day of prosperity and in the day of adversity. So even when we're told, if, you, if the Lord prospers you and you're doing well, you're to rejoice in that. It's not condemned. That's not bad. It's not automatically a sign that you're evil or oppressive or something like that. Additionally, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, if you remember when we were there, doesn't seem that long ago, but maybe it was. We see throughout Ecclesiastes, we're told about the goodness of receiving the good gifts that God does give us. Things like food, our work, our families, and so on. We're to receive these things with glad and thankful hearts. So there's a measure of wealth that is clearly good. In fact, it's the very reason why we would give to the poor and give to someone in need, because they lack wealth it's good to have some measure of it and so we give to those who maybe don't and such provisions ultimately come to us 
from God in his providence, and so we are to receive them as being from him and give him thanks for those things. Again, we remember God in his providence, he works through other people and other things. So, for example, we we tend to think we have a, a bad view of God's providence and we think that, well, Men just go about their business and plant and grow food and harvest it and then take it to grocery stores and then we earn our money on our own and then we go buy these things and we don't understand that all of this is God's providence and the way that He, through His providence, is using these secondary means to provide for you, to provide for us. But that's the way it is, which is why it's fully appropriate and right that when we sit down to eat that food we bought at the store, we are thanking God for providing this for us. These are good things. However, the Bible also makes very clear that for many people, all of this becomes a snare. Man's heart is fickle and deceptive. And the desire for riches pierces and ensnares many people. For much of the world, the pursuit of wealth Various types of wealth, the pursuit of stuff, money, luxury. For many people, this is idolatry. This is their God. They worship this. They pursue this. They think about this. How can I get more? This is the thing I desire and want. Remember the parable of the soils? Jesus says that there are some who would initially receive his word so they would initially respond positively to the gospel claim to believe it but for whom later the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful in the end they do not go on to produce good fruit rather the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out and they prove unfruitful And even for the genuine believer, the one who does bear fruit, there is still a wrestling with these things. And we find throughout the Scriptures a number of places where we have warnings against the love of money, to be careful about these things, to beware of this. We read about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Within the church, historically, Many have erred in this matter of wealth. On one side, we see various types of asceticism, a rejection of earthly goods, maybe in different degrees, in different ways. But typically tied to that is some understanding that these things are bad things. And godliness is tied to not having these things. Monasticism of various types, I guess. Of course, we are also aware of The prosperity gospel that says it's your birthright to be wealthy and prosperous. And if you just have faith and the right faith, then you indeed will have all of these things right now. And various others have not been, maybe who are not on either extreme, but still maybe have not been critical enough about their own pursuit of wealth. How easily we can go from this understanding that I must uh, provide for my family and work is good, how we go from that to being obsessed about providing for my family, 
not just trying to provide what's necessary, but becoming obsessed with providing a lifestyle that can compete with our neighbors, that can compete with those around us. We take in this understanding of what it is that our kids ought to be doing and have or what we ought to have and we have to go after these things and we think that's this minimum and this is what we spend our time pursuing, trying to live at a certain level. Or how easily the need to provide for my family becomes worrying about providing for my family. It so easily can become the overwhelming obsession of our lives. We pursue this stuff. We pursue wealth. This question can't be avoided, this matter of how we relate to earthly goods. We need a measure of it. Work is good. We have to face this. Jesus has talked about going into your room and shutting the door and praying to him and your father who is in secret. You see this and reward this. And yet we know the li- our lives cannot be lived in the closet, just there between you and the Lord. We are out in the world. We need to work. We need some of these goods. How do we relate? Well, the Lord in his kindness has not left us in the dark in this matter. He has given us instruction. And so we're looking here now at how citizens of Christ's kingdom relate to earthly wealth. And so first we see that citizens of heaven are to be more concerned with storing up treasures in heaven than on earth. Citizens of heaven are to be more concerned with storing up treasures in heaven than on earth. So in verses 19 and 20, we have a negative command followed by a positive command. So it begins with this negative. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but... Positively, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The contrast here is between two types of treasure, obviously. One that is temporary and unstable, that is susceptible to being destroyed, to running out, to being eaten by moths or stolen by a thief. On the other hand, the other type of treasure is that which is eternal, which is lasting. It is secure. It is not susceptible to being consumed by pests or being stolen by a thief. All earthly types of treasures are susceptible to these things, to being destroyed, to moth, to rust, it says. Now that... that, word is not actually the word for rust. Uh, It just means the word for being consumed by something. If it was metal, metal can be consumed by rust. It's translated as rust most likely relying on James chapter 5, which talks about rust eating away at treasures. But it's probably actually referring to a pest like a moth or a worm or something like that that eats away at things. We know many Treasures like that can be eaten away by various types of pests, things that we value so highly. And that which is maybe not going to be eaten by pests, a valuable treasure of some kind, a precious metal or other, well, of course, those things can be stolen by a thief. 
Of course, we know, we recognize that there are all kinds of other factors that can render earthly goods of no value. New technology comes out and suddenly that thing that costs you a lot of money is utterly worthless to you. It's worth nothing. You buy a new vehicle, if you do, drive it off the lot, and already you've lost money. Inflation can come along, and suddenly that money you've earned is not worth nearly what it was not that long ago. Anyone who has investments right now and has paid attention over the last several months since the start of the new year, you've also noticed how quickly you can lose what you had gained. Treasures fade. Again, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we saw how so many things can come, tragedies of all kinds, different things can happen, and we realize that this pursuit of earthly treasure and storing up this wealth, if this is what we are pursuing and after and setting our hopes upon, it's vanity. It's a fleeting mist. It's like trying to grab a cloud. There's no certainty to this, except that it will pass. It is a chasing of the wind. This is the nature of earthly treasures, whatever their sort. Whether you're after money, physical goods, and even immaterial, but worldly pleasures or treasures, like being well thought of, fame, being successful, how quickly these things evaporate. Ecclesiastes also tells us that if we pursue money, desire money, We will not be satisfied by that money. We're always desiring and needing more. It's temporary, these things, and fleeting. And even if you do gain a ton of stuff in this world and you seem to be on top, eventually your time will run out and death will catch up with you. And then what of all of this stuff? Again, Ecclesiastes points this out. It's left to somebody else probably maybe even a fool who just squanders it and and then what? Every believer in Christ understands these things in some measure. Because Christians are those who've realized that if we were to gain the whole world but then stand before God on judgment day and answer to Him for our sins, we would have to forfeit our souls. We would lose everything. We would be under God's judgment at that time. And this is a bad exchange to say, I'm going to pursue the world now and then just have to stand before God and face an eternity under His wrath. This is not a good exchange. Christians are those who understand this. We realize that life is short and then comes judgment. This is a critical part of why it is we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only He can save us from what our sins deserve. Only He has satisfied all of God's demands for righteousness, and it is Him that we need to save us. And so in many ways, relating to wealth is just an extension of this into our everyday life. We continue through our days to interact with the world and the things that we have in this world as those who are looking beyond this life. We understand there's much more beyond this. We will die and we will stand before God and then what? So we are living in light of that day. We interact with the world and its goods in light of that day. 
And so be reminded again of the fleeting nature of earthly treasure. Jesus says here not to make this your overriding concern. The thing that consumes you and that you pursue. Seeking earthly treasures of any sorts. Do not, he says, lay up treasures on earth. Instead, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust or consumption by pests destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, Christians are those who certainly need earthly goods. We're certain of that. But this is not our driving concern in life, to acquire, to build up, and to attain an empire. Christians are citizens of heaven. And realize that this life now, again, is not all that there is. We are those who would defer our best life for later, for the age to come. And again, we live our life now in light of that time and in preparation for that day, in expectation of that day. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul, there he's speaking of enemies of Christ. He says in verse 19, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. These are enemies of Christ. Their minds are set on earthly things. They pursue that. That's what they're all about. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So because our citizenship is in heaven because we are awaiting the return of our Savior, because we are anticipating the final resurrection when He will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body, we do not set our minds on earthly things. We understand to pursue the things of the world is out of sorts with the greater treasure that we are looking forward to. We do not pursue earthly treasures in earthly ways. When a sinner believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, comes under conviction for their sin, confesses that to God, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and is forgiven their sin, they are also transferred into God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, also called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's beloved Son, and so on. For the believer... Your allegiance shifts in that moment. Your true citizenship is now in heaven. And Christians become pilgrims in this lifetime. We are passing through this world on our way to the heavenly city. Hebrews 11.13 says that we are strangers and exiles here. This is not our ultimate home. And so this will manifest itself in how we live, in how we function within it, including how we relate to goods and possessions and wealth. Well, it is well and good to speak of laying up treasures in heaven, but what do we mean when we say that? 
Sometimes we use these phrases, we're laying up treasures in heaven, we're living in light of eternity, etc. What does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? How do we do that? Well, I don't think it's a terribly complicated matter. Certainly living in light of eternity, living as strangers and exiles here, doesn't mean that we simply remove ourselves from the world altogether and go live in monasteries or something like that. Nor does it mean that physical things in this life don't matter at all. They do. We know they do. I would suggest that what this means, laying up treasures in heaven, is applying this pilgrim mentality to every area of our lives. Applying this pilgrim mentality to every area of our lives. We are passing through, we are citizens of heaven. And so, the priorities of God and of His kingdom, which we find in His word, they become our priorities. So we strive for righteousness, for sanctification in the way that pleases God. And we seek to obey Him in every aspect of life. It means that we understand that all of who we are in every area of our lives now come under the Lordship of Christ. We read from 1 Timothy chapter 6. He tells the rich there not to set their hopes on riches, but to be generous and to do good. Essentially, he goes on to say to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness. Really, we're just talking about trying to obey God in every area of our lives. We're applying this pilgrim mentality to every area. So it involves recognizing that all that you have, in a very real sense, is not really yours, but it is God's that He has given to you to steward. You are a steward in this life. This is not your ultimate home. You steward the things that God has given you in such a way so as to honor Him the very best that you can. And so we certainly do this with our possessions and with our wealth. How do we use these things in a way that will honor God? This involves, obviously, as we think of things like money and wealth, generosity. Holding loosely to them, not setting our hopes upon them, not making them our greatest and highest pursuit. Giving, helping those in need. Giving to church, to missionaries, seeking to further see the gospel be furthered in this world. Again, the priorities of God and His kingdom becoming our priorities. I think this mindset, laying up treasures in heaven, we do this in every area of life. We steward everything God has given us. Our job, we seek to do that in a way that will honor Him, honor God. For example, with work. Perhaps you, just imagine you were put in a position where you were being forced to compromise. Do something that would be sinful. And if you don't, you realize your job could be at stake. You might not have a job. I've got mouths to feed, a family that relies upon me. I need to provide. 
If you were living for earthly treasure and wealth, then you could very easily compromise your conviction here and just go along with it and rationalize it because you need to keep the income flowing, keep the income coming. But we don't take that approach. We serve at the pleasure of another. And so we don't have that option of rationalizing and sinning in order to just keep my job and keep the money coming. We would take our stand and commit that to the Lord's hands and trust Him for the future, even if that means you lost your job. Even if that means the only other jobs you could find didn't pay nearly as well. This would be to not lay up treasures in heaven, or sorry, to not lay up treasures on earth, but rather in heaven. We steward our marriage. If you're married, we steward our children, our parenting. We don't engage in these things in earthly ways, but with heavenly mindedness. You steward, again, money, possessions, your time, your recreation, the mind God has given you, everything, your body, all of it. We seek to do this, to steward these things in a way that would honor God with His priorities at the fore. And we seek His wisdom from Scripture to help us in all of these things. Our priorities are different. We are those who pray. We prioritize gathering with God's people, spending time in God's Word. We become concerned about the Great Commission, the salvation of souls. And as Jesus is talking particularly about wealth here and possessions, we think how can we use these things to that end? Again, we live as citizens ultimately of heaven. And this also means that we share in the reproach of Christ when our world heaps it upon us. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We live in light of future inheritance in the eternal kingdom where moth, pests, rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. The world counts this as folly, but the scriptures are clear. There's no comparison really to be made. One is an eternal treasure that will never wear out and the other is temporary and it surely will wear out. It is the fool who saves his life now only to lose it later. If you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and today every earthly treasure you possess was taken from you and they took your life from you as well, you would still possess Christ and you would possess Him forever. Be reminded of that. 
Secondly, let's carry on. Citizens of heaven, guard our hearts and desires carefully. This is important relating to this issue of treasure and earthly wealth, earthly treasures. We guard our hearts and desires. It is not simply that we do some different activities and thereby store up treasures in heaven. Well, I just show up to church once in a while and that gives me credit with God. We could begrudgingly do certain activities for God. We could show up at church, though we didn't want to. Or we could do certain things with bad motives. We've been seeing that in the hypocrites that Jesus has been exposing and warning us about in the first 18 verses. In verse 21, Jesus explains why this matter of storing up treasure is so crucial. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The whole matter of treasure and what we treasure, what we store up is important because it is a test case for where our hearts are. It reveals to us where our hearts are. A Christian is one who has been born again. That is, a Christian is one that God has given a new heart to. One that now has new desires. Who actually desires the things of God. Can actually see that God's word is good. His law is good. That it is good to worship Him alone. That it is good to do the things that He says are good. Anyone can just simply say the words, I love God, I love His kingdom. But how would we know it? How would you know it if it was true of you? Well, the scriptures are clear. It's born out in the fruit of one's life. But this fruit is not just a few external actions that get modified. But it begins with having new desires. This being born again, having new heart with new desires that align with God's. Christians are not those who are simply compelled by God's law that is written on stone tablets that just demands and demands upon us and we just roll our eyes, but we just try and do it maybe. That's not what a Christian is, but a Christian is one who actually does Love the Lord. See the goodness of who He is and His Word. See the goodness of what Christ has done on the cross to die for sinners. And we can test our hearts by asking ourselves what it is that we treasure. By looking to the things that we give ourselves to and store up. Do you treasure the things that God values? And is this reflected in your life? In verses 22 and 23, Jesus switches up the metaphor, but I believe it's making the same point about the importance of having the inner person regenerated, the importance of being born again. Verse 22 says, The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is a little bit cryptic, but I think the basic metaphor is clear. The eye is what allows the human body to be able to see clearly. Light enters in through the eye, and our whole body is illuminated by it. Our hands and our feet, they know how to operate when the eye functions correctly. Without a whole lot of effort, one just takes off running or jumps or whatever it is, grabs something. But if the eye is bad, the eye is corrupted, then obviously this becomes much harder. The world becomes dark. And so it's the condition of the eye that makes the difference. That's what this is saying. Now, what is that metaphor getting at? John Stott points out in his book on the uh, Sermon on the Mount that often in Scripture, the eye is equivalent to the heart. That is, to set the heart and to fix the eye on something are synonyms. We see that in a few places. Psalm 119, verses 10 and 15 are one such place. We won't go there now, but if you're curious... And so there's a, it's the same idea that he's getting at here. So given the context that this, verses 22 and 23, this talk of the eyes, the lamp of the body, it comes between what we just saw in verses 19 to 21, which talks of treasure and, and, the, and, uh, and the heart. And then in verse 24, which we'll get to in a moment, which speaks of worshiping God and money or mammon. And so I think what verses 22 and 23 are doing is they're making a statement about earthly wealth and true riches. It's saying that if we would see these issues, these matters clearly, and avoid spiritual darkness, it depends on the condition of the eye, or the condition of the heart, or the inner man. It reminds us once again of this need to be born again, to have a renewed heart. Otherwise, we'll continue to find our treasure in earthly things. We need the eye to be healthy. We need the heart to be renewed and remade. If we are to see and truly believe that the far greater glory is found in treasures laid up in heaven, then this will require a healthy, sound eye. Otherwise, it will be darkness. And how great is that darkness? Again, the things that we desire, our affections, matter. The inner being is what determines the outcome. True righteousness, as we have seen, is a matter of the heart, and it includes things like our attitudes and desires and motives. Again, it's not about getting up and praying really well where everyone can see you and think well of you, but Jesus points us to praying in secret quietly, shutting the door where no one would see it. This requires a renewed heart that understands that praying in secret is a truly important and wonderful privilege that we get to engage in, to come before God, to live our lives consciously in His presence. It's not man's praise that we're after. This requires 
the new birth. But it's not as if once we're born again, we never again pay attention to our hearts and our desires. Rather, we are to be those who stand guard over our hearts, are watchful about our affections, those who seek to keep a healthy eye that we might set our minds on things above, to think about that which is true and honorable and lovely, all that is good, as Paul talks about in Philippians 4, to be those who would meditate on Scripture, about on, on, on what is wholesome and good, what righteousness is, that we would think about that which is eternal. We guard our hearts in this way. This is a reminder to stand watch against the enticement of the world and its various deceitful treasures. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So citizens of heaven are those who guard our hearts and desires carefully. This is an important aspect of relating rightly to earthly treasure. Thirdly, Citizens of heaven understand that God is our sole master. In verse 24, we find a warning, a caution toward any who would try to have it both ways. I think we might, we would probably all agree, well, obviously you can't just run headlong into worshiping idols like wealth. You can't just make that your God. That's obviously bad. And yet, some might try to just combine the two. I think I can find a way. I can, I can worship God, and I can also kind of hedge my bet. I can also try to dabble in, 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 in pursuing and worshiping these other things as well. I can try to hold God and treasure. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We need, we need to hear that. You cannot serve God and money. The word money is the word mammon. It was an Aramaic word that was borrowed and used to refer to money and possessions, to wealth, to property. We shouldn't think of this as just referring to money or dollars, but to all types of treasures. And mammon was used often to personify the wealth as a false god. And I think that's what's happening here. You cannot serve God and this god of wealth and treasure at the same time. It is portrayed here as a false god who would gladly and happily enslave you. And Jesus teaches us we cannot serve or be enslaved to two masters. We will begin to hate and despise the one while our love and devotion will go toward the other. Again, the point here is that the Christian life, the Christian, comes under God's lordship. 
We are transferred into His kingdom and He is now our master. We are now slaves to our redeeming God. And this is the only way and it is the good way. It is where true freedom is to be found. Oftentimes we don't consciously, if you're, as, as Christians, we, we don't consciously think, I'm going to just worship something else a little bit. But it can start to happen by the things that we begin to treasure, by the things that our hearts begin to yearn for and desire. It's a good time to just remember that we serve at the pleasure of our God who has saved us and redeemed us. And that those temptations to desire earthly treasures more than the things of the Lord are just temptations to misery and to sin. Think of the people of Israel. They're redeemed out of their miserable slavery to Egypt. And they're in the desert. And what do they do continually? They complain. Oh, and then they think back to their time in Egypt. And do they remember it rightly? No, they do not. They remember some of the food they have and they think, man, if only we, we had all those good things. We had this food there. But now here we are. We got this miserable bread that God sends miraculously from heaven. But in Egypt, we had that food. How quickly they forgot that it was a miserable enslave, enslavement. A similar kind of temptation can come to us as well. The reality is the life of an unbeliever in one sense is really quite simple. You just do whatever you feel like doing. You just give in to whatever impulse comes. Of course, we know that has consequences. But there is an ease to that, is there not? You don't have to fight this flesh. You don't have to battle with these desires and try to put these desires to death and, 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 and obey the Lord, which is difficult for us in our, with our flesh that we still battle, to resist the temptations of our fallen world, to battle on the level of the heart. And there can be at times a temptation to go backwards, say there's just easier to just give in. But of course, remember, it was a miserable slavery that ultimately ends in judgment. There's nothing down that path. Remember these things rightly. The law of the Lord is good. His ways are good. To belong to Him is good. To be a citizen of His kingdom is good. You are trusting in Christ. You have been shown tremendous grace from God and mercy and kindness that He would forgive you, that He would make you His own, that He would promise you an eternity with Him. It is worth pressing on, seeking to put to death our earthly desires, striving to set our minds on things above.
And hear the warning again against trying to wed Christianity with worldliness. How many Christians, professing Christians, try to do this, have tried to do this? Jesus says you can't do it. It's going to end in disaster. You've seen many who would profess the name of Christ. They try to hang on to the world. And in time, they're just 100% all in with the world. How many are doing that today? They come out soft on an issue today because they don't want to look bad in the eyes of the world. And then you fast forward a couple years and sure enough, it truly was a slippery slope. And they've slid right off the edge. And even genuine believers at times will try to walk this line. I think this is what happens when a believer ends up committing some sort of gross sin. I can think of a a few folks, I can think of a few pastors I know of who fell hard into gross immorality. It wasn't just a moment of weakness. How do you get there? Well, you're trying to serve two masters for a season. Pleasure, perhaps, and God, trying to walk this line. And Jesus says, you can't do this. And it ends up in this horrific sin. And even where there's true repentance, there's still a mess left in the wake. Hear again and remember the goodness of serving your God. You belong to Him and to none other. You know, if you're a Christian, you know that the world promises you much, but it underdelivers all the time. It delivers you emptiness. When you give to sin, you know that sense of shame that comes later. It truly was not worth it. think of wealth and possessions reject the pursuit of that rejoice in the fact that you belong to God Almighty and that you now live and serve at his pleasure you are a citizen of a much greater kingdom the eternal kingdom the kingdom of God and it is right and good to have a single-minded devotion to your master to live your life consciously in His presence, seeking His kingdom and His righteousness and storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, eternal treasures in heaven. Let us hold loosely to this life. Let us hold loosely to the stuff of this earth. Give thanks to God for every good gift that He gives you, By all means, most assuredly do that. Receive those things with joy and with gladness, but hold loosely to those things. For tomorrow they could be gone. The Lord gives and the Lord also takes away.
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Put your hope in things above and set your mind there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word that you've given to us and for this reminder today. Thank you for your grace in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the the immeasurable riches of the glory that awaits your people. Father, give us eyes of faith to behold this and to remember this and to live in light of what is to yet, yet to come. Make us those who hold loosely to the things of this earth. Father, that we would not reject it all, but receive good gifts as from you, be those who live as pilgrims in this life. Father, keep us from idolatry. Keep us from inordinate desires for earthly things, for earthly treasures of whatever sort it might be, whether it's man's praise or whether it's money or whatever. Father, help us to be much more concerned about matters related to your kingdom, that we'd be more concerned about righteousness, Father, we know that this is appropriate. We confess that we are weak and we are sinful. And so we ask you for your help and your continued kindness and mercy to us. Father, continue to shape our hearts and our desires that we would truly, truly desire your kingdom and your righteousness above all things. Father, help us, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.